This is DeFi Talks, where Ed Ariam, co-founder of Dominion Finance, discusses nodes, passive income, yield farming, DAOs, and all other things DeFi. I'm your host, Kythosis, from Dominion Finance, the first DeFi protocol to provide off-chain revenue as a service on-chain. We bring in guest speakers every week to help educate our community on existing DeFi space and where it's going. Thanks for listening. What's up? Hey, guys. Hey, how's buddy. it going? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Oh, it's doing well, doing well. Still recovering from COVID here, but, uh, you know, uh, at least I'm on the mend. I'm over the peak of the mountain and, uh, you know, starting to feel a little bit better. Can't complain. How long have you felt sick? Um, this is uh, day 10 or 11 at this point. Um, but it's just been the last couple of days where I've started to recover. Yeah, man, I'm triple vaxxed the whole nine yards, and I still caught a bad case of it, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> you never win. I caught it and got a fever of like 104.2 Fahrenheit. I don't know what it is, Celsius, but Ooh. and I had that for like half a day and then didn't have any symptoms for the rest of the Really? Week. Yeah, I got man, lucky. I started off with like a dry cough, and then it progressed into like splitting headaches all day, uh, like total bad brain fog. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like fever all of that man and it just kept getting worse day by day until i finally guess crest of the mountain but uh yeah no so that's what i've been dealing with for the past week and a bit and uh you know all simultaneously while you know trying to organize refunds for failed projects like atlas and running to all communities that i run it's uh it's been a it's been a busy hectic time that is a crazy thing to do while you're sick um I oh know yeah that... it wasn't fun Socrates, one of our founders, has been out for a few days now being sick. Um, but we haven't had to refund any rug projects or, you know, don't have too much going on. Just a new landing page, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I wish we were trading places because, uh, you know, it, it, it was I made a fantastic decision to, you know, help out a, a rug pulled community. And uh, while doing that, also having a fever, a super massive fever and like almost all, no brain ability. My brain, like I, for whatever reason, the COVID brain fog I had was terrible. Felt like I was just out of it the whole time. Like a, a 10 day hangover? Yeah, basic, bro, very much like a 10 day hangover, but with none of the fun the, for the night before. So it was just the bad side. <laughs> <laughs> none of the good side. <laughs> all the pain and, and none of the fun. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. All, all I can say is I'm never drinking again. I don't even care if it was a hangover or not. <laughs> well, well, give us the scoop. What what happened and uh, what was your solution? What went on with Atlas? Oh, with Atlas? Um, well, it yeah. was a it was a it was a pretty big shit show, man. It was a pretty big shit show. Um, what happened is uh, I woke up in the morning. Um, I saw the Medium post, and uh, luckily I have a previous relationship with Koji, which is uh, one of the guys that wrote it in in line with the other guy Goof or whatever his name, however you pronounce his name. And uh, you know, he gave me you know a little bit of the inside information on you know the just the malicious behavior that was being done by the founders. Um, and luckily, because the founders were docs, they were all kind of freaking out um, from legal ramifications and, uh, you know, w w whatever is coming to them. And it's still coming to them. They have no, no, no way to avoid it. Um, but um, 
So I, uh, I I went into their server, um, you know, just taking a look at their general chat to just see how bad of a crap show it was. Uh, and it was obviously really bad. Um, and then I saw a one of the founders uh, just made like a comment in their general chat saying, you know, I think they were trying to look for any excuse to not give the treasury back to the community. And so like they they put out this long list of requirements being like, you know, we're only going to hand the treasury over to a doxed member that's well known within DeFi that we could trust with the treasury. And I'm like, well, I'm right here. I'm the founder of the UOT. I'm I'm well doxed. I'm pretty well known in the DeFi community now. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll do this and I'll make sure it gets done properly and given back. Uh, hopped in a group chat with them. Um, basically put the b- put leverage to them and said, look, you know, you guys are going to get sued and arrested or you can just get sued here. Um, I think it's a better idea for you guys. And I basically just massaged it, uh, you know, the issue going, look, if you guys don't do the right thing here, you're 100% going to get arrested for embezzlement um, and fraud. You know, there, there's no question that that's what's happened here. And so, you know, let's try to make the best out of a bad situation. Um, and after a little bit of convincing, they handed over the treasury keys to me. Um, they handed they handed me over, you know, the, uh, the private keys to the wallet that was controlling their treasury. Um, I immediately took all of those funds, took all their investments, and I moved it over to a new Gnosis safe, uh, just so none of the founders would have any kind of control or any ability to adjust it at all. Um, <clears throat> liquidated uh, everything. Uh, into you know one single uh, currency being phantom for refunds um, and then it was the arduous pr- uh, process of pulling uh, you know from the contract and from the API literally every single person's wallet uh, the nodes associated with that wallet um, and then you know organizing a Python script that would automatically distribute those rewards back per node per wallet um, and that was a little bit more complicated than I needed uh, luckily, I was able to utilize a lot of my development resources, uh, you know, over from Hive. I took a couple of our developers from there. Uh, I took a couple of developers that I know, uh, you know, per- just personally who are willing to, you know, donate their time and efforts in order to, you know, make the situation all right. Um, and so I was holding on to their about $1.5 million in Matic, uh, sorry, in, in, uh, in Phantom for them. Um, and then once we had the wallet list as well as the script ready to go, I just hit enter and started the script and let it let everything go back to the people. Um, so it, it's kind of a DeFi history first. Um, you know, we, we turned a situation where, you know, a project that otherwise would have rugged and everyone gotten screwed uh, to at least and, you know, everyone lost. Let's listen. Let's, let's not. I'm just trying to, you know, make the best of a bad, out of a bad situation. Um, but, you know, it, it, it at least it turned it from a situation where, you know, everyone would get completely screwed and leave with nothing to where everyone at least got something back for their notes. And it was on average, uh, it was 167 phantom tokens per uh, note. Wow. wow, that's not bad. Well, it's, I would have liked it to be more, but uh, you know, unfortunately, I could only claw back what they had liquid. So it was, you know, what what was in their treasury, and then of course their investments, their staked Hector, Hector, their LPs, and so I had to liquidate everything into Phantom and just have it ready there. So as soon as I had that, uh, you know, the the wallet list and the script ready, it was just a you know a five hour process of it automatically sending out through a single wallet. So who found? Um... So who was it that saw that they were embezzling funds and how did um, how did you decide or who decided to take action from there? Well, um, it was it was their front end team. I mean, there was like the founders and then there was the front end team. Uh, And so they had like a project manager, I think, um, who was the individual uh, who was brought on later. Um, And, you know, it it apparently was a situation where the devs were saying, oh, we're, we're, we're trying to do X, Y and Z. We're trying to do a bunch of crap all the time. Blah, 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 nothing really is happening. And then they started bringing in new devs that were able to complete tasks 
uh, that the old devs were taking months to do in like a matter of a week. Um, and so that's when the you know red flag bells started going up in people's minds. And then they started looking at on-chain transactions and realized there was a lot of purchases that were being made with the treasury or, or, or with funds that weren't directly meant for those people. Um, you know, those the, those purchases were being made, um, you know, uh, uh, to essentially benefit the founders. Um, and that was fishy as hell. And then uh, and then so the founders also wanted to essentially exit out of the protocol. And uh, but the only way that they were willing to hand over the keys, the smart contracts, the treasury, the everything to the front end team was to go through like a six hundred thousand dollar buyout offer or something, something bizarre or absurd like that, uh, where it's just like, yeah, that's not happening. Um, and so, you know, they were basically at the stalemate until uh, until I entered in the uh, the picture, and it was very clear that they just needed that impart, you know, the impartial third party uh, in there uh, to really make sure it got facilitated and refunds were given out to their holders. Well, uh, I think I think this goes goes for, without saying, but uh, thanks for what you did, and we really need this is a popular conversation in our community. Um, is we need we need good act actors, you know, we need some self policing. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I would rather have rugs over regs. That's kind of how I say it. It's like the reason we're in this space is because we think there's innovation um, that's possible because of um, it's cross-border worldwide communities, right, that are decentralized. And what can we build with that? Um, sure. But we, um, we, we go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm not trying to interrupt you here, brother. This is your this is your server. My, my apologies here. Um, but you know, I, I, I think uh, everybody in DeFi does not want regulations to come in, but I think we all understand that it's an eventuality that regulations will come in if we don't really start self-policing and self-regulating. Um, and that's the whole function, like that's the whole vision. That's the whole mentality behind the union of transparency is to offer that clear path of self-regulation within our industry. So to have our own industry, people regulate our own industry rather than a bunch of boomers who fundamentally don't understand DeFi to be the ones that make regulations. But unfortunately, if we don't, you know, see dramatic success with that self-regulatory effort, we're going to see regulators come in and wreck shop. And uh, that's what my major concern is. I think, you know, DeFi has two truly existential threats. Um, you know, one is the erosion of investor trust through these malicious actions, through things like rug pulls. There's enough people who are going to get burned enough times where they just go, screw it. This isn't for me. And that, that those people exiting the industry is, is a real death blow to the future and the, you know, the, uh, the potentiality of what DeFi can be. Um, and then the other side of the coin is, uh, you know, uh, being completely regulated to death. And I think both of those matters have to be, you know, adjusted and we have to, you know, have solutions for both of these, you know, dramatic issues in order for DeFi to really live up to the uh, potential that we all know it has and to be as revolutionary as we all know it is. Amen. We, um, we talk a lot about that. We call it um, proof of um, proof of trust. It's like this technology that we'd like to develop. We've got a lot of stuff going on in the background with that, but um, basically kind of a kind of union of, of transparency is pretty close on uh, basically that we have to come together as a community and do some self-policing and recognize that these are existential threats to our communities and what we're trying to accomplish. And um, I don't think that the best solution is just to act like it's not there and let some people get rugged and some people not. It's like, I think we need to come together and have a community within the crypto space and with other projects. And um, I, I really like the union of transparency and the idea there. Um, so briefly, we'll go ahead and get, get into it. We got uh, 27 people here. Uh, that's great. Thanks for being here, guys. So this is, we're, we do weekly AMA slash podcast thing. We like to have guests on, right? Um, today we have Neelock, right? Um, and he's the- Colin. 
You can call me Colin. It's all good. My username is just my first name backwards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> easy enough, right? So Colin <laughs> is the uh, community manager for Thor, right? Um, CMO mm -hmm. for for Hive Investments, and then founder of of the Union of Transparency and. Um, we're working with him on our hexagon partnership, right? Getting our, I love the user interface over there. We've got some, uh, we've got a Herodotus that was sold today for honey. Um, I think Atlas picked it up. He's in the group chat here. Um, lucky right son on. of a gun. Um, Cause right. everyone, that's the one that's is 10,000 USDC, but someone sold it for 7K or whatever. And he scooped it up. He, he ran home from the gym, picked it up before someone else did. And then I had Pythagoras complaining about it. Um, but yeah, because so this will be it. on, let <laughs> <laughs> uh, whoever sold it, thank them. Right. Um, but I want to talk tonight about the union of transparency, um, a little bit about hive and a little bit about Thor and what's going on there and what you're doing to, um, what your teams are doing to push the node space forward. I think that's going to be interesting, but also what's going on with, um, the first question I'd like to ask is what, what is the union of transparency? Um, what inspired you to do that? And what, what do you see as the future for the Union of Transparency? Sure. Um, well, I mean, the Union of Transparency has essentially just been a vision and a thought that I've, uh, you know, slowly uh, released out to the public over time. Um, there's been a lot of work that's been done in the background uh, to make, you know, not uh, us not only a registered corporation, but also ensure that we have uh, the legal leverage uh, in order to fulfill the goal of self-regulation. Um, we're also working on some some major, uh, you know, blue chip partners. Uh, I can't go into specifics, unfortunately. Um, I'm under some NDAs, but I can say that we're, you know, right now in the talks with a major uh, centralized exchange. Um, you know, I'd say in the top 20 of all centralized exchanges. Um, and also, you know, blue chip uh, organizations that have already had some interactions with both projects, uh, both Hive and Thor. Uh, I'm sure you can put, you know, two and two together there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, a massive Oracle service. Um, but essentially, the whole concept behind the Union of Transparency um, comes from, you know, me coming from the from the investor community myself. Um, I don't have a history of running protocols. I don't have a history of running communities. Uh, I've never really been an insider within this community. In fact, you know, about four months ago, I was an Anon DGen hopping from project to project, you know, making money here, getting rugged here, especially during the Dow season. Um, and, uh, and, you know, my thought process behind it was... Um, I really believe in the future of DeFi. Um, I, I think people, once people really understand how powerful the integration between smart contracts and oracles are from a philosophical point of view, you just go, holy shit, this is, this is by, without a question, the evolution of our financial systems. Um, the only problem with that is that we have two massive existential threats uh, that comes to in our industry here. Um, and so the Union of Transparency is an organization that's really uh, you know, developed and built out to be able to solve both of those existential threats simultaneously. Um, there's four major benefits to the union of transparency. Um, obviously, one uh, goes down to the investors, uh, where investors know that they have a high quality, ethically run um, you know, ecosystem of protocols that they can invest into uh, and feel comfortable investing into, knowing that they're not going to get scammed. We're not speaking to every single one being a success. You know, we're all trying new things in, the, in a new industry. Uh, but what we can do is offer, you know, a, a, a group of protocols, um, you know, on every different, uh, you know, major chain uh, to feel comfortable investing in and knowing that you're not going to get scammed. 
Um, so that's a major, major benefit to the investors. Uh, a major benefit for the protocols um, very clearly is, you know, obviously a shared investor pool and cross promotional channels, um, but also in the background, um, you know, having protocols that instead of, you know, are treated like individual islands and it's everyone for himself, when we start to work together, we're able to share, you know, development resources and be able to, you know, the, the Atlas situation is a perfect example from that. Um, you know, I was able to take developer resources from Hive uh, in order to be able to achieve and, you know, create a positive net result for the Atlas community. Um, that's something that's never really been able to happen in the past because every protocol has kind of looked at each other as direct competition or indirect competition and like to pretend that the other ones don't exist. Um, I think it's far more powerful when high quality ethical protocols band together. Uh, it really helps us shape the future of our culture, but it also helps us, you know, shape each other's protocols and provide resources to each other's protocols when resources are needed. Um, so that's really the second main benefit is, you know, the protocols get very clear cross promotional channels, very clear share, shared investor pool, um, but also, you know, shared resources when resources are needed. Um, the uh, third benefit <clears throat> comes down from the regulatory side. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're all pretty anti-regulation here. We're all pretty anti-government coming in and, you know, especially a government that fundamentally does not understand this industry being the ones that are deciding the rules of this industry uh, makes absolutely no sense. And I'm sure we're all on the same page on that. However, uh, historically speaking, when we have new industries like DeFi, where you have this wild west, uh, you know, this wild west area that has had zero regulation in the past. What regulators do before they come in looking to regulate is they look within the industry for, you know, self-regulatory boards. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to position ourselves to work in conjunction with regulators uh, to ensure not only that regulators fundamentally understand DeFi, uh, but they also, you know, can have the ability to run future policies through us and through the lens of people within DeFi to ensure that if there are regulations, if regulations are inevitable for the DeFi space, uh, we got to make sure that those regulations are fair and inherently fair for both investors and protocols. Um, so that's that's what we're looking to do is the third major benefit is the union of transparency. Um, and then the fourth one's a little bit more circumstantial. Um, but I, I think we all know, um, you know, just, you know, uh, um, using our logic and, uh, you know, reasonable deduction here, um, that we all know that there's hundreds of millions to potentially tens of billions of dollars waiting into, uh, waiting to enter into DeFi. Um, you know, this really exists through hedge funds, through pension funds, through traditional finance, through, you know, the traditional stock market. Um, you know, all of these people are very interested in DeFi, especially the realistic yields that you can attain through DeFi. Um, but their, you know, their risk profiles are significantly lower and they don't have the same ability to do due diligence over incoming protocols. And I think that that's one of the major things that have been stopping these organizations and institutions from entering the DeFi space. Um, they don't know what's a scam. They don't know what's legit. They don't know. Uh, they don't really know their ass from their elbow. And so, what we think is going to happen is when these, you know, institutional investors and larger investors uh, start to see a uh, very clear path. Uh, you know, in a collection of protocols that they can feel comfortable and safe allocating portions of their portfolio, uh, we're going to see them invest, you know, huge and huge amounts of money into these protocols. And obviously, it's going to become a rising tide lefts all ships scenario. Um, so those are really the four major benefits of the union of transparency. And that's kind of the larger goal. Um, what we're looking to do is we're really looking to bridge that traditional finance over to the DeFi world, uh, as well as ensure and, you know, perform that self-regulatory uh, self duties within this industry uh, to not only keep us safe, but to really help, uh, you know, push the evolution of the culture that, uh, that DeFi can become. Wow, that um, it really it really does remind me of of proof of trust and what Dominium's trying to do. Just a quick background for you there is we we've basically said 
I mean, exactly what you're saying. We don't want regulation, but we need to protect people, and it would bring more money in, right? And the rising tide lifts all the ships. And so, um, and we kind of see it in one one place where you and I probably see it differently is just fundamentally, like ethically, I have a problem. Like when you say, "Hey, I, I wish there was a way that we could police within our own community," right? Because we see, hey, you know let's look at Atlas, right? Okay, they're, they're docs, they're KYC, like, let's go report this to the court authorities in the in the US, I assume, and press charges and, and take them to courts with the laws of the land. Um, the proof of trust thing that we're working on is developing some way where um, we really hold people and have like our own system where we can hold people accountable that has value and has weight um, without having to go to any centralized authority, right? Because at the end of the day, the US government um, can be seen as a centralized authority. And that might be, maybe in the US it's less so, um, but what if they were in Switzerland or what if they were in Dubai and, and you don't have a court a courthouse for um, no, but we do have disputes around the world. We do have something called the court of public opinion. And, uh, and one of the major, you know, the problem is, right? Uh, how do you regulate an unregulated industry without some kind of, uh, without some form of uh, intense leverage? Um, and so the cool thing is, is because the Union of Transparency has caught so much traction online, uh, there's a big, big demand for protocols wanting to join the Union of Transparency. What that does is that allows us to privately dox those individuals um, and hold leverage over those individuals. Um, so we've gone through a very long and lengthy legal process to understand exactly what our legal obligations are and what our abilities are. Um, and the cool thing is, is we have the ability to essentially have consent contracts. Um, as incoming protocols are looking to join the Union of Transparency, they're obligated to dox uh, to the Union of Transparency Board of Directors. Um, that dox information is kept, obviously, in a very secure, uh, safe place. Um, I can't go into detail. That <laughs> limits the security of it. Um, but what that also allows us to do is that allows us to have a very clear consent contract, uh, allowing us to publicly release that dox information should X, Y, or Z criteria under the grounds of maliciousness uh, happen. Um, so that's the great thing is, you know, um, the Union of Transparency isn't just myself. It's it's a, it's actually a board of advisors that have been built up through mostly, you know, very large entrepreneurs, people who own publicly traded corporations. We also have uh, legal connections over into the SEC and organizations like that. So what this allows us to do is this allows us to perform that self-regulatory, uh, you know, entity mission that also allows us to have the leverage over malicious behavior uh, while simultaneously keeping this unregulated and not, you know, needing the regulators to come in and do that same uh, same effect. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm, yeah, I think that you've taken a lot of time with this and you're addressing a problem that we're talking about and you've got a nice solution. I think it's a similar solution, you know, where, yeah, how do you create leverage um, where in a place that's unregulated or where you don't have authority. It's like, it's not like you can take someone's house or put them in jail, right? So what can you use? Um, you can use the court of public opinion and you can use kind of like, because in, in a big way in crypto, um, trust is almost a currency, right? If people feel like they can trust your protocol, money dumps into it. So I think that there's a very tangible thing that, you know, in the Union of Transparency, like you're going to get more investors because they have a track record. And then the Union of Transparency is going to say, hey, well, we have not just your your $5 million or $10 million project to work on, but maybe we have a billion dollar ecosystem and we're not going to risk that for your pump and dump or whatever it is. And so I think that that um, is a good solution and, it, and it's pretty close to the ideas that we've thought about integrating. So I'm, I'm glad that we've had this chat and allowed me to dive a little bit deeper into it. Um, I'd like you, um, Colin, if you could, to go over to um, 
under community in our Discord AMA text, there's a few people asking you questions. And if you just want to read through some of that um, and answer them, could you? Sure. I'm opening it up here. <laughs> um, the first well, how, one. How about was, this? Um, I, how about this? Why don't you read out the questions and I'll read out the answers? Okay, sure. So Crabo says, are there any plans to work even more closely with Hive on top of being listed on Hexagon? Uh, I can probably answer that. Um, you know, it's kind of this union of the transparency thing that we're going to look at in the future, right? Can we be a part of the union of transparency? Um, can we use each other's devs? Can we, you know, pay, piggyback off of each other's marketing? Um, but beyond Hexagon, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Colin, I don't see, um, I don't see, maybe we could do like a, a joint investment for passive income or something like that, but we haven't talked about anything like that. I'm, I'm, I mean, look, you know, we, we have a group conversation that happens between the back end of both teams here. Um, so, you know, uh, any opportunities, we're always open to opportunities to working with other high quality ethical protocols. Um, so that's something that we have no problem, you know, discussing. And, you know, certainly as time, uh, you know, evolves on and the amount of utilities that Hive is pumping out, um, I'm sure there's going to be some forms of application that that will work between both teams. And as long as it's something that's going to be mutually be uh, beneficial, um, then, then, you know, that's, that's something that we'd be more than happy. Yeah, so keep keep your eyes out, Crabra. Maybe you can recommend that when you when you see a good opportunity for us. Um, and then SRN seventeen, he's asked us twice. Um, I don't really understand. He's saying that um, can you keep the UOT fair when you're invested and biased? I'm really curious how that can be possible. So I, I guess their concern is, let's say that the, the union of transparency becomes what we want it to be. It's mm -hmm. great, and people invest in the union of transparency because they have a you know, six month track record, none of their projects have rugged, you know, um, they take care of their people, that sort of thing. What can you do? I mean, and this is kind of, I don't know, but his question no, is, is how do, how do you make sure you're not just making money off of it? This is a fantastic question, right? Because from everyone's perspective, there's one guy that runs the Union of Transparency that's also the CMO of Hive, that's also the community manager of Thor. And inherently, there's obviously a very clear conflict of interest there. Um, that's the great thing about the Union of Transparency is that it's not run like a tin pot dictator. Um, I don't have the say-all, end-all control, even though I am the founder of the protocol, um, meaning um, that the protocol is operating very similarly to a DAO structure, uh, to where every single union protocol coming in uh, receives governance tokens. Now, these tokens aren't tradable. They don't hold any real-world value. Um, but what they do is they effectively act as weighted voting uh, to allow all union decisions being made by union protocols, not anyone on the board of directors or myself. Um, it would be a massive, massive conflict of interest if I was the single dicta dictatorial on the Union of Transparency while simultaneously working for two protocols. Um, you know, there's no question about that. And that's something that we've, you know, we've talked about internally and we understand as a team. And so that's the reason the entire decision making structure of the Union of Transparency is independent of what, you know, Colin wants to have, wants to have happen. Um, you know, our purpose here is, is to really fight for the future of DeFi and the future of DeFi cannot ride on one person's head, whether it's me or anybody else. Um, so just to reiterate that, um, is it you have some sort of decentralized mechanism or there's there's a community that makes decisions for the board? Can you break that down for us? Yeah. So so essentially the union decisions are uh, governed by a DAO structure. 
So all union protocols, let's say Hive, let's say Thor, let's say PXT, let's say R&D, uh, let's say, you know, I have a list right now of about 20 protocols that are looking to apply and join. Um, each one of those protocols upon, you know, being successfully admitted into the union of transparency and following through the due diligence steps that, you know, that, that essentially that leverage uh, safety, uh, uh, you know, safeguard that we, that I talked about before, um, <clears throat> each one of those protocols receives governance tokens. And those governance tokens act as their weighted vote for all union decisions. So that's the great thing is that the union is actually operated as a DAO, but the DAO is not made up of investors. It's made up of union protocols. Um, so did I hear this right? Um, the projects that are already a part of the union of transparency are going mm -hmm. to receive governance tokens. Yeah. And as well as any project entering the union of transparency. So, I mean, like so the projects that are already in the Union of Transparency because the Union of Transparency is not something that's launched yet are you, uh, protocols that I'm directly involved with, right? But as soon as the Union of Transparency launches, it's it's open season for any DeFi protocol that wants to join the Union of Transparency. The, way, the only way for that to operate in an unbiased, uh, completely ethical manner is to ensure that the one person who is the founder of the Union of Transparency uh, does not have any decision-making abilities over what the Union of Transparency decides to do in the future. We set the groundwork, we set the we set the rules that everyone has to operate by, and then you know essentially the 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 decisions on behalf of the union of transparency are made by those union protocols, not myself or anybody else on the board of advisors. So how are you going to scale that? Like, let's say that um, Dominium joins the union of transparency. Um, mm -hmm. I love Dominium, but I'll be honest, we're we're smaller than Hive, we're smaller than Thor. You know, we're a little bit younger, and um, we're doing something a bit different. Clearly, I don't think it's going to stack, you know, like, is, how are you going to scale that? Like, is Hive going to get one for no, every no, dollar no, no, for their market cap? No, 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 no. That would be punitive, right? And that would be punitive against new projects that are just coming out, new innovative ideas, as well as projects that may not have the same level of marketing that other projects would have. So all union protocols receive the same amount of governance tokens. So it doesn't matter the market cap or anything like that. You know, it matters about having the decision-making process of the union being a fair a process. And that fair process means that the small protocols have the same amount of weighted, weighted vote as the large protocols. So as um, the union of transparency grows and maybe in a year or two, you know, there's 20, 30, 40 projects that are part of this, um, you know, Hive's initial governance over the union of transparency will dilute and it'll kind of just grow along with the projects that grow with it. Exactly. Exactly. So, so hives, uh, so hives ability to dictate the union of transparency's actions um, diminishes as the number of protocols that join to the union of transparency scales up. And uh, you know, we're looking within the first few months of launching the union of transparency to have over 50 protocols uh, that's covering everything from, you know, liquidity farming uh, to, to um, you know, uh, to standard DeFi projects to, you know, yield projects to nodes, to, to all the different sectors within DeFi needing, uh, needing to be covered. All right. I, I love it. Um, a few more questions that people are asking. I think you've, you've briefly mentioned it, but just a little bit more details on the KYC process that Union of Transparency is going to go to. Is it, would it be like, you know, a founder like me meeting with you and a few other on the board and doing some sort of Zoom doxing where, hey, we know who you are and we will come after you. <laughs> don't, you know, don't ruin our name. And I think that um, as far as our proof of trust technology, we were going to say that 
part of dealing with Dominium or for example, one way that we want to institute it is because we want to do off-chain assets, right? Mm -hmm. So something we're, something we're looking at really closely is a business in the US that's extremely profitable that one of our community members runs, right? Um, and there's going to be a transaction there, right? Like let's say it's 80K to buy the supplies to do the first month of business. And it looks good on paper, Dominium is going to get its money back in three months and then continue to have that as a passive income investment for years, hopefully, right? Um, how do you have a trustworthy protocol? So part of what we're saying is, well, we've set up this leadership structure and we actually have to fly out and meet people in person, shake their hand. And that's kind of part of our baseline of who we're going to do business with. And like, we have to make sure that um, it's not just that's, a name and a profile a online. That, that's a good process. That's also a process that takes a tremendous amount of manual labor. And, uh, and when you're looking to have a self-regulatory agency within a, you know, such a diverse industry as DeFi, it needs to be much more of a streamlined process. Um, so, so the protectionary measures that we go through is collecting full docs information. So that's, you know, not just having a video call, but that's also collecting passports. That's collecting, you know, social insurance numbers. That's collecting the deep personal information of each one of these protocol owners and holding that information on file on record, um, along with a signed consent form that legally allows us to distribute that said information, collected information, should X, Y, or Z of, you know, what uh, criteria, whatever it whatever that is deemed as malicious uh, actions um, allows us to, you know, distribute that out publicly. Essentially what we're doing is we're performing that third party uh, um, leverage service where, where, where we're leveraging their, uh, the protocol founders, personal information against negative behavior. Yeah. I think that that's, um, <laughs> that'll do it. You know, it certainly um, will make you think twice before you join the unit of transparency. And I think that we, exactly. we don't have anything is because the union of transparency poses such a distinct value to protocols coming in, whether that's through a cross promotional, whether that's through shared investors or whether that's through shared resources that, you know, any protocol that is ethical is not going to have a problem going through those steps, but any protocol that has ulterior motives is going to have serious issues and they're already not welcome within the union of transparency. The whole point here at the end of the day is to start to dry up the investor pool from malicious behavior and malicious protocols. So, you know, because like at the end of the day, this is an unregulated industry. So anyone can fork anything they want and make a shit protocol that's just designed out there to scam people. But if we can start drying up the investor pool so they don't even have an investor pool to call upon, we make it essentially untenable for, for, for these malicious actors to operate within this industry. No, I love it. It's going to get to the point where um, you request it and if you get rugged and they weren't doing a few things that, you know, like when we started our project, we, um, we, we first started our marketing push as a, as Dominium Dow, right? It was kind of like um, Fiscus Dow without the felons was kind of our marketing push. And um, th then all the Dow's dropped. Yeah, I know. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> the Dow's dropped like 90% and we were always going to do the NFT staking. So I was like, well, well, let's pivot to nodes and now nodes aren't looking as good. So, and you got to be quick on your feet. You probably know this as well as anyone else, right? Thor's like, well, damn, what do we do? Like, well, let's do something, right? Let's, let's create value somewhere. They're doing a you, whole game. Uh Look, you know, that's the great thing about, you know, being on such agile teams is we're able to pivot with the market conditions very quickly, you know, uh, especially over at Thor. Thor was, you know, uh, this it brought up in the same time as Ring and was originally a Ring fork. You know, we're no longer that. We have all custom contracts. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, we went through hell and back, um, you know, with the entire market essentially crashing. And then we had to, you know, w wave through that storm, come out on the other side stronger. And now we have, uh, you know, a serious roadmap with a with a serious uh, ecosystem of utility that we're, uh, you know, being able to slowly introduce. Yeah, I it's I that's why we did what we did. You know, you have to be able to change. You got to be able to pivot. Um, and then Hive, you know, I think Hive was, you know, ahead of its time when you guys started thinking, right? It's like, well, we got to reduce rewards. We got to do something more sustainable um, and we can do better. And I think I love where the space is going. And I think that people love the idea of passive in income. Um, a question that SRN else also asked is, do you guys plan on, you, so you're, we were talked about how you're going to basically come at it from, I don't know what you'd call it, blue teaming it, right? Blue teaming versus mm -hmm. red teaming. Um, mm -hmm. so, so we know how you're going to verify that someone's good. Do you have a way that you're going to warn people like, hey, this project, um, we reached out to them or we think this is a likely rug or a, a dump or it's not looking good. Um, some of these projects are easy for people that are experienced in, ba in the space, but they're saying maybe if you're going to be this policing force, can you also be a policing force to help warn against projects that aren't, you know, are particularly we, not we, within we, your ethos? We can and we can't. Um, you know, it, it's that, that's a fantastic idea. The problem is logistically, how does that operate when we're in an industry that has, you know, 100 projects that are forked a day? Uh, it's very difficult, you know, to know every single thing that's happening within this industry. Uh, but what we will be doing is that we'll be publicizing when a project enters into the application process of the Union of Transparency and updating where that application process goes. And it'll be up to the individual investors on whether or not they're going to want to invest into a protocol that may be applied for the Union of Transparency, but did not pass through the vetting processes. So you'll do what you can, but you can only do what you can, right? Um, I like this. Yeah, I, I mean, like at the end of the day, you know, the, 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 there's about 300 projects that are started a day. It's impossible for 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 every single project to have, be vetted and be notified prior to any of the projects going live. The whole goal here is to start training investors to understand that, you know, that they're comfortable investing into protocols that are fall within the union of transparency and they're not comfortable investing into protocols that don't. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a filter. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe XRP, that's their first bag. And then they're like, okay, I'm going to go into some blue chips. You know, I've been looking at DAG, I've been looking at, um, whatever, right? And DeFi, I don't know, seems a bit risky. But okay, but Union of Transparency, DeFi, it's got a better track record, like whatever that's, you want to say the there. Point. That's the whole point. And we also want to start, you know, educating investors in, in this scene and people already within DeFi to start, you know, vetting out these projects. And, you know, certainly when the Union of Transparency is solidified and has, you know, a basis of 50 protocols that are all within the Union of Transparency, um, I think it's going to be, can make a far more sense for people to start going, I'm not comfortable investing into a protocol if it's not part of the Union of Transparency. Essentially, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create that BBB of DeFi. And so, you know, the BBB of DeFi isn't speaking to protocols that are projects or businesses that are outfall outside of that BBB of DeFi, but people who, you know, uh, want to buy a service from a business, they're going to be looking at whether or not they're registered on the BBB. That's essentially what we're trying to do. It makes a lot of sense to me. I like this question from Monkey Chief. Um, he said, what has the UOT actually done to validate their credibility so far? Um, well, I mean, other than, you know, uh, essentially already being a collection of high quality ethical protocols, uh, we just finished our first test case, which was essentially uh, facilitating the entire refund process for the Atlas community. 
Uh, so what we did is we came in as an impartial third party, took control of a $1.5 million treasury, and then distributed that $1.5 million treasury directly back to the holders um, uh, of that protocol. So we turned a situation where it was going to be a rug and everyone loses everything to where everybody gets something. And uh, that is a fantastic first use case of the Union of Transparency put into practical application for the wider world. Great. Um, let's bring up um, VSAT. He's already up here. What's going on, man? Yeah. Uh, I, so I had a, a kind of like a clarifying question regarding like your KYC doxing process, because obviously you're dealing with an international community, community mm -hmm. right? Like, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, is it just going to be you guys getting copies of these documents or are you going to be, um, you know, going to a third party in, you know, investigator background check service or something along those lines? And then how are you going to do that, um, you know, when you're dealing with people with multiple countries? So, so I mean, what, what we do is we serve that final filtering process. Uh, we have dedicated partnerships with uh, both CERTIC, uh, as well as the Obsidian Council, as well as Assure DeFi. So what we do is we require every single protocol, well, they're going through their application process to go through all the investor security measures. So that's penetration testing, that's full contract auditing, auditing and that's also a verifiable you know, third-party KYC. Um, but in addition to that, in, if they want to become a full member of the Union of Transparency, they have to dox directly to us. Meaning that any, uh, you know, whatever country that they're from, every, you know, I, that's the reason I use the word passport as a good example. Every single country, you know, internationally has passport services. And, you know, what, what we do is we request not only access to that passport, but also on a video call so we can cross-reference and ensure that the people that are listed on that passport are the same people that we're talking to in this verification process. Right. I mean, and just like uh, with, with Assure uh, specifically, I'm, I'm more familiar with them because I think they're a little bit more ubiquitous uh, in the space. Um, like, how are you going to confirm that that's actually the real person? Like, because he's just looking at uh, getting a document, whether it's valid or not, right? You don't know necessarily. It's like, oh, the name matches, the face matches. That, that's what I mean. How are you going to actually ensure that these are valid documents and that this is all, all on the level, you know? Well, I mean, look, at, at, there's a there's a level of criteria that we can do and there's a level of criteria that nobody can do, right? And it doesn't really matter the organization that you're talking about. We're doing everything to perform every piece of due diligence in order to invest, uh, you know, improve investor protection. And that will probably graduate over time as we have more and more test cases of, uh, of you know, applicants joining the Union of Transparency. Um, but, you know, it's not, it's not a foolproof process and there is no such thing as a foolproof process. Um, when we're taking, you know, legal information, we're taking <clears throat> verifiable information, and that's the, you know, information that we can independently verify. Uh, but we're also looking to take biometric information as well as have that cross-reference to collected KYC information from our third-party uh, KYC agencies. Whether that's done through Certic Shield, or whether that's done through Assure DeFi, or whether that's done through the Obsidian Council, uh, we can ensure that there's a cross-reference that the same information matches up. Okay. Sound, sounds good. Thank you for answering my question. No problem, brother. Great question. Yeah, it's a good question. I had that question when I did a sure, you know, um, I sent him an ID and I was like, here I am. But I think that something you might have a, a more simple solution than you think, you know, like just doing what Coinbase does or what most centralized exchanges do is you take a picture of yourself, you know, and a piece of paper that says this is the date and, you know, It'd be like, you know, what, what's the day? April 19th. Hey, it's almost 420. Um, April 19th, um, 
yeah, April but the 19th, actual, your the name actual, and what you're doing it for. The actual verification process is actually far more in, te- uh, in, in depth than that. Um, right. Because, you know, essentially that's just taking a picture with a piece of lined paper where anyone can write anything on there doesn't necessarily mean that's matching up to the government issued IDs. What we're doing is we're collecting both. Uh, we're requiring that Coinbase level of protection while also having uh, legal documented IDs. And both of those informations have to match up. And those informations also have to match up to the third party KYC that we obligate them to go through as well. It's essentially having three points of verification rather than a single point of verification. Okay, great. Well, I, I love it. Um, to answer Crabraw's question, yes, I think Dominium will be applying and, and looking at that down the road. I think it brings good exposure. And I think that like um, Colin said, any um, any any good, honest protocol that's, that has plans to do things the right way um, should do everything they can to verify in any way that it doesn't hurt the community why would you not verify, right? Or why would you not do something that's going to build trust? And so- If you're legit, if you're legit you should have no problem, man. If, if that's the whole point, right? And so it's like if the people who, who the people who refuse to go through those verification processes are people, are projects that more than likely we'd recommend people not to invest in. Um, because if they're not willing to supply that information to an impartial, you know, already proven, uh, well-known third-party arbitrary, you know, independent regulatory force, um, then, you know, that poses more questions than anything else. So, I mean, essentially what we're doing is we're simultaneously providing that investor protection while also offering as a filtering mechanism for investors to know which protocols are worth investing into and putting your trust into and which protocols aren't. Absolutely. I love it. So let's pivot. We got 15 minutes left here. Um, I think we all know a lot more about U of T than we did before. I think we've all seen it and kind of been like, what is that? So yeah, we really appreciate you coming on and telling us, you know, and educating us on what you're doing. And it's a lot closer to what we were trying to accomplish. You know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about this proof of trust thing and, and ways to implement some sort of, you know, just some sort of process that develops pro- trust in the community. And I think the union of transparency is a huge step that direction. So next thing we wanted to ask you about is just about what's going on. You know, we, we all see kind of, okay, you know, Bitcoin had their blood diamond. Um, we thought they broke resistance at 45K, it's back down. And it might just have been taxes, the whole market kind of lulled into that bullish, that bearish space. Uh, but now yeah. I'm feeling better about it. You know, we got the XRP settlement coming up. We got Ethereum 2.0. So there's a lot of things that could turn the market back bullish, like going into the fall this year. Um, where do you think, where do you see Hive and Thor? You know, what, what are you guys doing differently to be relevant in this space at this time in this market? And um, what do you think is going to happen over the next six months? Well, um, I think overall for the market, we're still very much on shaky ground. Um, and, you know, I've, realistically, I need to see Bitcoin, you know, over a week hold 43. And I want to see uh, Ethereum ideally hold over 33. Um, you know, things like, you know, putting hope into Ethereum 2.0, um, I think is uh, a little premature at this point. Um, you know, really for the fact that Ethereum 2.0, the proof of stake is, you know, was supposed to be done about a year ago. Um, and it's been pushed back and it's been pushed back. And I see no indication that it won't be pushed back again. Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, everyone should not be putting all their eggs into the Ethereum 2.0 basket in order to, you know, change the overall market conditions. Um, having said that, we're, we're holding pretty darn strong, which is good from an overall market perspective. I mean, we're, as long as we're maintaining realistically over $2 trillion market cap, which is, you know, a good indication that at least there's, you know, still a significant amount of confidence within the market and the sediment is there. 
Um, as for Thor and Hive specifically, um, I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing the end of the node season. Uh, which is the end of the real Ponzi-nomics working, and the end, the the end of the big hype behind the uh, the nodes as a service, DeFi as a service, uh, you know, industries. Um, and the only way that these protocols are going to survive is by offering a diverse ecosystem of utilities that are all driven by that single reward token that the that the protocol issues. Um, so for uh, for for Thor, for example. Um, we have a, a very hotly anticipated, uh, very large scale play to earn game, um, and that's that. You know, that's that's where that's where we really start to build out the ecosystem for Thor, uh, to where we're deriving revenue streams that are completely independent of new nodes and new emissions being created. And what that does is that allows us to really start to look at from a macro perspective the daily emissions that the protocol prints out, and then build out revenue streams in an ecosystem that's all going to achieve uh, to sustain those emission rates. Um, so one of the major things that we're looking to do over the next month or so here is to bring in this major PDE game, but then we're going down to turning our nodes into NFTs. We'll be instituting a node cap at that point. So that that allows us to fully understand exactly where the emissions are from a brander scale. And then we have several other unannounced utilities that we're simultaneously working on. Um, you know, the great thing is about the Thor team is about 53 people now. So we have dedicated manpower for, you know, each one of the massive utilities that we're looking to bring out. Um, so we're able to work on multiple things simultaneously simultaneously um it's very much the same thing over at hive the whole point of hive uh and you know the the differentiating fact between hive and thor is hive has been able to launch uh, at a much later base um and with a lot of the lessons learned from previous DeFi as a service protocols already in place uh so hive has launched with you know a max emission cap of forty thousand nfts um what that does is that allows us at scale to understand exactly what the emissions of the protocol are uh, protocols are um and that also allows us to build in you know different utilities that are going to sustain those revenue rates. Um, so, this is, so that's that's really where you'll see all of these node service nodes uh, nodes as a service and DeFi as a service protocols going. Um, this is the direction that the entire industry is going to go. And the question is, which protocols and which projects are going to be able to really build out a robust ecosystem and a, you know, and a robust revenue streams independent of the Ponzi nomics? Those are the ones that are going to survive. Uh, so Thor has a very bright future. We have a huge amount of utilities that we're bringing out. It's the same thing for Hive. I mean, Hive is about two weeks old now. We've already instituted our educational wing, which is the Hive uh, Hive Academy, uh, where we have custom-made educational curriculums. Um, you know, the very basic levels of them are all free, but the intermediary, in, intermediate and advanced levels are both uh, for charge, and they utilize our native token. So people have a use for their reward token independent of selling or a reason to buy that utility. Uh, that token uh, in order to get those educational, uh, you know, in order to go through the educational channels. Uh, but then we also have introduced our, our massive first uh, huge utility, uh, again, two weeks after launch, uh, being Hexagon Marketplace, um, which is, you know, the marketplace that you guys are also listed on. And we're very happy and thankful to have you part of the Hive family there. Um, and we have uh, significant plans with both Hexagon as well as future utilities for Hive. Um, the whole goal here is to really over the next uh, you know, a couple business quarters to a year, um, really develop a robust ecosystem on both, uh, you know, the Polygon chain for Hive and uh, the Avalanche chain for Thor um, and allow us to build out these ecosystems of utility um, while also simultaneously controlling emissions. And that's really the only true path to sustainability that you're going to see any DeFi as a service and nodes as a service uh, protocol be able to operate on. Love it. You know, I think we're very much on the same page. Um, you know, I could record you and, and tell everyone that it was me and they think that I said it, you know, it's, um, that's what it's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen is you need to have revenue that 
kind of because what what people really want and the real reason we're still willing to talk and even discuss nodes is people want passive income you know i remember um in 2017 i you know i made a like it was, i think it was the 2016 run um but i made a lot of money on xrp like going from like a cent to like 15 cents and um right. any talk so go sorry go ahead oh i just said right on sorry i was just agreeing <laughs> sorry <laughs> um but yeah, i talked to people about it i'm like and I used to be this huge XRP maximalist. It's it's kind of embarrassing for me now, but oh XRP, it's so it's so fast. You know, I can send you 20k in two seconds, like a text message. And but it just like people didn't care. You know, I talked to my my normie friends, and they're like, "Okay, dude, like I don't want to buy your cool idea of a stock." You know, they see it as a stock. It's like well, hopefully it goes up. Um, but this time around, it might be because you know crypto is just more accepted. But I mentioned like strong nodes, and they're like, "Yeah, look, I bought this node for a thousand bucks." And it gives me ten dollars a day. I, you know, I, I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's been happening for five months now. So, <laughs> I recommend. I don't know. I've got my money back. You'll probably get your money back. I see it going for at least six more months, sort of a thing. Um, yeah. But that it really touched people's hearts when I talked about passive income because people look at their expenses and they're like, I don't want to work forever, and they think they look at real estate and they, like, how can I? get out of this hellhole of this, you know, 40 year work year, you know, thing that's going on. Um, and passive income really speaks that language. So um, that's where, why we're kind of trying to do with that space is, well, what, what people really want is passive income and how can we actually make that happen is like, like what you're doing is real revenue streams, right? Well, it's the, it's the only way. It's the only way. Uh, um, you know, uh, Ponzi-nomics works, um, you know, when a protocol is hyped. And when the when the set, uh, market sentiment as a whole is there, um, you know, there's obviously enough buying pressure to sustain the revenue rates. But, you know, w with any form of Ponzi-nomics, you always face a situation where, you know, longevity is always in question. The whole goal here and the only way that the market as an overall passive income market survives is by, you know, essentially translating those Ponzi-nomics and the early success in those Ponzi-nomics, using that as a liquidity bootstrapping mechanism, and then utilizing the funds generated from that to, actual building, uh, to actually building out clear revenue streams. So, for example, for Thor, right? We modeled the tokenomics and, uh, you know, the game design, um, you know, a lot on uh, Breath of the Wild from Zelda as well as Fortnite Battle Royale style. Um, and what this allows us to do is this allows us to create a really fun gameplay loop and a really fun experience for people while simultaneously having a potential, potentially huge revenue stream. You know, you simply have to look at Axie, for example, um, with Thor being the governance token on a massive play to earn game, as well as Thor driving 30% of all revenue generated from that game. That presents a unique position to where the Thor protocol earns a significant amount of revenue through a single utility, um, while that it does not increase the net emissions of that protocol at all. So it essentially works out as a net win for the people who hold nodes. That, and then in addition to a robust ecosystem of utilities, is the only way any of these protocols or passive income protocols are going to survive in the long term. Once that hype dies out, it's all about being able to utilize the funds that you made during that hype uh, in order to generate you know, revenue for years and years and years to come. And it, of course, you know, I, I want to make it very clear, it's super high risk. You know, This is stuff that's never been done before. We're trying brand new things on the market, and we're essentially pioneering a brand new industry. Uh, that's going to come with bumps and turbulations. Uh, but I think you know, uh, the obligation of an investor who's looking for you know, reasonable passive income is to take a look at the team, take a look at the team's success, and take a look at that team's executional abilities, and understand and feel confident whether or not that team's going to be able to achieve uh, the roadmap and the goals that they've set out. 
So, um, is the new when you you can mint an NFT to play in the Thor game? Is that going to be with the Thor token? And then, um, are you going to keep all of your missions even after your game? I mean, I'm sure you've had this thought that wow, we're going to create this really cool game that has a really high revenue stream, and it's just going to get eaten up by this giant liability of debt that you owe to thousands of node holders. Um, no, so, no, no, uh, yeah. so, so we're not looking, I mean, you know, at that point, then you start to remove the passive income, right? And that becomes a bait and switch for people who own nodes. That's not at all what we're looking to do. What we're looking to do is to understand at scale, the amount that the protocol prints out on a daily basis, and then build in revenue streams that sustain that printing out of the protocol. So the core fundamental business is the nodes, people get passive income through the nodes, but the node value and the token value is not derived from new people buying and making new nodes, that token value is derived from the utilities and the value that's being brought up through the revenue that was generated from that initial mints of those nodes. That's the whole, like, like that, that's the underlining concept behind DeFi as a service. And the only difference is it's never actually been put into practice yet. Um, and that's exactly what we're looking to do over at Thor. And that's exactly what we're currently doing over at Hive. So you're going to stick with your emissions and um, like, that's your goal is to make sure that those investors get their passive income. Um, and are you going to, are you willing to die on that sword? Like, are you always going to give your rewards as they're at? Or are you guys going to reduce your rewards? Um, it's going to be, we're go well, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to gauge and pivot once we have a firm idea on expected revenue sources from things like treasury investments to things like liquidity pooling and farming to things like our play to earn game to things like our marketplace that's going to be existing, uh, the Thor marketplace that exists, uh, that will exist on, uh, on, on, uh, on uh, Avalanche. Um, and then, you know, understand what those revenue streams are built in. Of course, with the unannounced, we have a couple unannounced uh, other massive potential revenue streams um, to really understand um, at what level is, uh, you know, uh, you know, passive income indefinitely sustainable at. Um, you know, right now, our goal here is to build out revenue streams and then uh, take a look at the emissions uh, once these revenue streams really start to bear fruits. I love it. Um, well, we got only a few minutes left. So a question I wanted to ask was, let's, let's take a look at Dominium, right? Um, mm -hmm. Dominium's um, still same thing, right? I'd say a little bit more of never been done before because we're, we're trying to bridge the gap between on-world, um, you know, off-chain and on-chain on products and revenue streams. Um, we're looking at some really, really exciting revenue streams, plug-in connection. A lot of us um, own businesses or um, sales businesses that are really profitable and leveraging that in a way that we know people would love the opportunity to get the passive income that we're, we're gonna produce. You know, we're KYC'd, um, we, our CTOs doxxed, we audited before we launched, um, we just revamped our whole new website. Um, I, I would say without a doubt that for me, we're doing things a lot more logically, a lot more honestly, and a lot more fair for our investors, um, than, than 90% of the node projects out there. So what would you say that we can do? And you've, you've worked with Thor, you know, you're the community manager for, um, Hive. Um, what, what is it that Dominium's missing that I think we should have more volume? I'm fine with our price action. Our price is right mm -hmm. where it needs. It's $4.34. We launched mm -hmm. at $4.60. So it's been doing great with a month of emissions in a bear market. But we want more volume. And we want more people to be talking about Dominium. And even just this union of transparency, like all these concepts are the future of DeFi. Um, and I, I think that our concern is everyone's focused on pump and dump, you know, um, they're looking at, we're a micro cap, right? We're a million dollar market cap. So people that are looking at us, they're like, 
well, that's super high risk for me. So I'm looking at a hundred X or a thousand X. What did you do with Thor? What recommendations do you have for us to get more exposure and to um, get more to the volume that I think Dominion deserves in the space? That's a great question. I mean, this is something that we're also facing over at Hive as well. Um, you know, we, we would like to be able to maintain half a million dollars a day in volume. Um, obviously, we're, we're, we're off of that basis now. Um, and I think uh, th I think there's a couple different factors for that. Um, I think Thor launched in a very different market condition than, than what we're seeing now. Um, and that is that same you know negative sentiment towards passive income space um, exists for Dominion and it exists for Hive. Um, the real difference is, and, and what I think you guys need to just focus on, is really building out and building utilities. Um, instead of really focusing on the marketing and the hype side of things, I think you need to present and focus on value. Value will speak for itself. And as soon as you hit that critical mass where people go, oh, this is an inherently worth it investment, then then you're going to experience a ton of growth through the, uh, through the process of word of mouth. Um, and that's exactly how Thor grew. Um, you know, Thor has, you know, now we're starting to seriously hit up marketing channels and spend significant money into marketing. Um, but until this point here, Thor has put $0 into marketing and we're, you know, there's 56,000 people in our discord server. There's 56,000 people on our, um, you know, on, on, on Twitter. And we have, you know, on average a half a million to, a, you know, to $3 million a day on vo in daily volume. Right. Um, all of these are very, you know, very impressive figures. Um, but that's also because, you know, we've had a longer time on the market to really prove ourselves and to demonstrate who we are as a team and as a protocol, um, you know, for the larger market. Um, that's something that, you know, still has to be proven for Hive, still has to be proven for Dominion. And I think what you guys really need to just do right now is focus on utility, focus on value, derive and create value. And your, your, your volume is naturally going to increase. Also, of course, things like that cross-promotional channel being spotlighted on Hexagon, things like, you know, joining the Union of Transparency, all of these are going to speak well to your community growth and your volume growth as well. Um, but, you know, those are secondary mechanisms and how you increase volume. Those are secondary measure uh, mechanisms and how you create uh, increase your community size. The real primary objective for you guys should just be derived value, 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 value first, and everything else is going to just fit into place. I guarantee you that. I also think, and I also think, and I'm sorry, I'll shut up after this, uh, but I, I also think um, it's really important um, for people to, you know, kind of go through the, the, the really negative effects that they're going to get by chasing protocols that offer stupid high APYs. Um, I think that this is a trend that's in the market, and I think this trend is going to be, you know, going on the way out after people get burned, um, you know, over and over and over again and realize that, you know, protocols that are promising X amount in the term of, you know, monthly APY or daily APY or whatever, um, those protocols won't be there for the long time in the future. And I think what people are really looking at, and people are, a lot of people are looking at Dominion, a lot of people are looking at Hive, are looking to enter into these protocols once it's demonstrated that it's actually sustainable and it's going to be here for a long time. Um, the difference is, is right, there's like a lot of these protocols are offering ridiculously high APYs, whereas Hive and Dominion, we've come in with actual sustainable APYs and actual, you know, uh, return on investments that take a reasonable amount of time. Um, and what that does is that allows us to have an inherently sustainable protocol, but it also is not nearly as widely appealing as something that's going to offer you 1.9% a day in the way of APY. Uh, I think, you know, what has to happen is the dust needs to settle. And what by the time that that dust settles, you need to have a bunch of you know value and utility within an ecosystem um and that's going to speak for itself that's that's my thoughts on it yeah he heads down and build I, I i i feel that way that's the way i felt i'm sure you feel this pressure from the community as well it's like 
everyone wants this big hype because that's what you're competing with is just these degenerate projects that are like when moon moon today and um you know i was talking to our marketing specialists and they ask one question right they're like will this coin go up so i don't know if you knew this but we we instituted this we called it we call it equitas um, but it basically defends it protects the price from going too high because on every launch the price does like this initial 4x or this initial 3x and it's usually a bot that buys right at launch and then that's the community exactly, just can, that's exactly what we did for the hive launch you know hive uh, when hive launched we had seven million dollars in transactional volume over a 24-hour period and one of our biggest concerns right because we knew how hyped we were going into launch was having this massive god candle up and this massive god candle down and we actually launched on the same day with two other projects in the node space launched uh both emerald nodes and corkscrew um and we really did not want to have our chart look like those charts and the mechanisms that we put into place were was you know not only our restrictive sales tax at launch, um, but also you know ensuring that we had automatic protocol sales that were happening right at that beginning of launch to prevent massive mooning in our token price. Um, so what we ended up seeing with seven million dollars in transactional volume um, was uh, essentially less than a two x in our token price, which fit exactly how our expectations were and exactly what we wanted to see. We wanted we want to see you know sustainable price action and sustainable price action by definition are not massive volatility swings up and down yeah i think that's a good solution what we did is we we sold our nfts in usdc and the dome token with a 30 percent difference so you could spend a thousand dollars of dome or you could spend thirteen hundred dollars of usdc and so what that's that did great. is just protect great. anyone that wanted to get in for the passive income they're not going to be taken advantage of by the swing traders and the bots and everything because the upside's limited to 30 percent until we increase it and we we planned to increase it um, but what we found is when we said hey we're protecting this price from going up we don't want it to go up more than 30 percent the first month like people just read that and all the people that are in this space are looking for that 100x or that 5x or that 3x and it just turned them right off and that's what we saw is people aren't actually that interested in passive income and sustainability I wouldn't fret about that, to be completely honest. Um, and, and, you know, this is my personal opinion. I think P the days of people, you know, the DGENs chasing the DGEN plays are coming to an end. And I think that that happens through two different mechanisms. The primary mechanism on, on how that happens is enough people get burned. And the secondary mechanism is enough people are getting educated and going, wait a minute. If they're offering me X amount of the way of, you know, returns on a daily basis, how are they generating that? And you'll find, and most of these people who start going down that educational path find, oh, it all exists on Ponzi-nomics. It all exists on the buy pressure of new people entering the protocol. And that inherently is going to set everyone up for a real rough time in the long-term perspective. Um, so I think what we're doing is we're playing a much more strategical game. We're playing the long game rather than the short game. We're not here for a good time. We're here for a long time. And I think that over time and as we come, we become more solidified within this space, it's going to become very, very apparent. So where people can have those DGEN plays and chase those DGEN plays, but they, they want to look at these uh, passive income plays like Dominion or like Hive as essentially their blue chip passive income place right where we offer a much more reasonable rate of apy but that rate of apy allows the protocol to have far more confidence in the long-term success of that token price as a whole um so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword it's a little bit of a catch-22 you know it, it definitely makes us suffer in the short term in the way of you know uh community growth uh volume on our token token price etc 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 but it simultaneously sets us up to be far more secure and solidified in the future. It's absolutely a worthy trade in my mind.
I, I think we're on the same page. It's 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 build, you know, when we were talking about this in December, you know, people hadn't really done NFT nodes yet. And people really hadn't done NFT staking for rewards. And, you know, like three, we are, our APR, APR is like 1% right now, which was like un unbelievably low at the time. I know that Hive's about half of that. Um, but I think we're, I think we're very much on the same page. If you got to be a few steps ahead of the curve, or by the time you launch your your Olympus Dow fork in March, you're dead. You know, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> it makes so much more sense for us to have essentially a a under the radar, uh, you know, launch and growth period. Um, and so to the point where those masses have been burned by these super high APYs, DGen plays start to look at us. They take a look at us and they go, oh, wow, look at all this value. Look at all of this inherent revenue sources that are being made um, that, that are independent of emissions and independent of the Ponzi-nomics. That's when we really start to see mass adoption. I think there's going to become two classifications of the passive income space. There's going to become the stable, blue-chip, long-term passive income space, and there's going to always be the short-term you know, moon boys that are looking for that super high APY. We're never going to be in a situation where we can please both of them. But what we can do is we can offer two different uh, investment sources. We can offer a blue chip long-term investment source where people can feel al comfortable allocating larger portions of their portfolio to uh, protocols like ours that are offering reasonable APYs and then have, of course, their DGEN fund on super high you know, APY DGEN plays. Uh, but you know, essentially, we perform and we become that backbone of passive income to our investor pools. And that's a real distinct value that we're offering that you know, other people aren't. And that's because we're looking at this from a far more strategical perspective. Right. Yep. I think I love it. I love what you're doing. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll draw it to a close. Thanks for being here, Colin. Um, a little bit of alpha that we want to drop just for our listeners for showing up. Um, I want to let you guys know that next week, the team's flying up to Las Vegas. We're meeting people from Arizona, from New York, from Ohio, and we're going to start some businesses and we're going to start cash flowing that money right into the dome treasury. Um, we've now set up our facility and, and ordered our miners. So what we should be or mining like by next month and we'll be selling those NFTs, those mining NFTs as well. Um, so you can chat with us and Joan chat about that. Um, Colin's available. He's pretty available on Twitter and um, Hive and, and Thor. Um, and so, you know, reach out to him, integrate. I think it's important for our communities to work together. And we really, you really do by networking, you learn and you grow. You know, some people are saying, Hey, be careful who you take advice from. You know, I, I get that, you know, but it doesn't hurt to talk, right? It doesn't hurt to be an open book. And um, I mean, you don't want to be too transparent. I get that. But um, it, ideas aren't dangerous, right? It's, no. it's, it's actions and application that can be, you have to be calculated, you have to be intelligent. But the ruggers and the scammers, they don't hop on calls. They don't talk, you know? So is, the more we talk, the more we educate, this will be on Spotify, this will be on Google. And the more people we can just help understand the space, the, the more the space will evolve and, and be here long-term for us. Totally, totally. And look, you know, essentially the way that I see this is we're building the future. And, uh, and I think it's really important to make sure that we methodically build this. Um, and we don't and we don't fall down the same pressures that we've seen historically in this market. Um, we've seen enough of these protocols that are fly by night protocols that just have these massive monumental rises up and then equally massive monumental crashes back down. Um, I think these days of in super inherent crazy volatility in this market needs to end in order for us to reach that mass adoption. And I think both of our project product projects here are you know really serving that function and really demonstrating to the wider community that you know 
having a reasonable rate of APY and offering actual, you know, tangible passive income. That's, you know, we have confidence saying it's going to last for years to come. Um, you know, those kind of promises are, are, you know, brand new in this industry. And I think we're, 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 we're really paving the future here. Um, so, you know, that's the reason we were so happy to list you uh, guys on, uh, on Hexagon. That's the reason, you know, you were the first outside collection that we've listed on Hexagon um, because we're, we're aware of what you guys are doing and you guys are essentially doing what Hive is doing. Um, but, you know, utilizing your revenue streams through real world applications while we're looking more on on chain. Um, I think there's two ways and multiple ways of skinning a cat here. And I, I'm really looking forward to us continuously working together. Um, and, you know, as you were saying, I, I think we share a lot of the same ideals, a lot of the same larger perspectives on this industry. And I think our communities will get along very, very well. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks again for being here, Colin. Um, we appreciate you and we'll keep in touch. All right, brother. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to the Dominion community for, uh, for, you know, listening through this. Hopefully, uh, you know, you got some good information out of here and uh, thank you guys again for having me. Um, have a great night, guys. Okay. Thank you. We'll see you. All right. Ciao, ciao.